Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. March 8th is International Women's Day, a global day dedicated to celebrating the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. The holiday is rooted in the efforts of the women's labor movement of the early 20th century. In the U.S., International Women's Day was first celebrated to honor the 1908 garment workers' strike, during which some 15,000 women marched through New York City, demanding shorter hours, better pay, and voting rights. In honor of International Women's Day, this month's edition of the podcast is going to focus on women in the transportation workforce. Today, I'm happy to say we're joined by Paula Hammond, the National Transportation Market Leader for WSP USA, as well as the board chair of WTS International, an international organization dedicated to building the future of transportation through the global advancement of women. Previously, Paula served as the Secretary of Transportation in Washington State and as chair of AASHTO's Resilient and Sustainable Transportation Systems Steering Committee. Paula, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Obviously, from that very brief introduction, I noted a couple of uh, major points in your career, a, a rather notable career in transportation, including 34 years at the Washington State Department of Transportation. If you would, tell us a little bit about your work and what drew you to the transportation sector in the first place, please. Well, I think back on why I got into this career in the first place, and I am a civil engineer, so I went to Oregon State University. I come from Oregon, Southern Oregon. I think about transportation as, as something that touches everybody's lives every single day. And so why not choose a science and math oriented career that led me towards uh, helping shape a transportation system for the future? Now, I never knew I would stay in this field and at Washtot as long as I did, but every single position I held was so gratifying and different that I could see each piece of the transportation system coming together in each phase of what we did. And for today, and why I'm now in the industry for over 40 years now as a consultant, and I think about the exciting time, there's no way I'm giving up now. We're in <laughs> such a great transformational period in transportation when we think about the 21st century systems we're all trying to build and the great technology that's come and the opportunities that we have, we're not done yet. And there's so much to do that it's been a very exciting and gratifying career. Well, as I mentioned, we're talking today, focusing on women in the transportation industry. And I'd like to learn a little bit more about your work at WTS International. First of all, can you tell us a bit about the state of gender diversity in the transportation industry? And also, what kinds of barriers women are facing today as transportation professionals? And perhaps maybe how that's changed from when you first started, say, some 40 years ago. <laughs> well, it's changed a lot, fortunately. <laughs> uh, when I was at Oregon State, I think there was eight women in our class of 120 men. This is a male-dominated field. Let's just be honest about it, or at least it used to be. And transportation engineering really ruled and led the transportation state DOTs and transportation agencies. It was that discipline that really did lead. Now, what we're seeing is so many different kinds of career paths and disciplines and professional opportunities within a transportation agency that can 
broaden, I think, the audience or interest of people who might want to work in transportation from planners and communicators, community engagement folks, uh, environmental and scientific fields, data scientists, all of these things now open up, I think, a, a much more broad array of professional and career choices. And so I think the opportunities are great. And I believe that one of the things we're seeing is that transition. So we've seen a few studies, for example, at WTS, we're watching very carefully where the stumbling blocks might be for women in transportation. And is it that they're not getting hired? Are they not progressing? McKinsey and company did a study not too long ago that said that at the entry level workforce in transportation fields, 50% were women. That's great. There's 51% women in our population. So that's pretty even, pretty neutral. But as they move into the CEO level of a, of a state agency or a C-suite, you're at something like 15%. So we're losing women along the way. Either we're not retaining them in the agencies and in the workforce, or they're not finding those opportunities. One of the barriers that's been seen is a real thing where women may come in at an entry level and then as the career promotional opportunities come together, there's something that's been now coined as the first rung of the promotions ladder is broken for women. So having much more intentional selection processes, diverse panels of interviewers, and consideration of and expectations at an agency or, or industry business level that we will do what we need to do to bring women along and diverse candidates into the system, prepare them to be C-suite or CEOs by giving them opportunities every step of the way, which fortunately for me, I did have. I had great mentors. Many men inside Washington State DOT supported my progression through the agency, but that's what made me ready then to be the Secretary of Transportation. It wasn't a plunk from one, you know, one level to the next. I paid my dues and I got my experience and every woman deserves that opportunity. You talked about identifying some of these problems and how that first rung is broken. Identifying is certainly a first step, but I guess the next step is making the changes so those things that have been identified as possible solutions actually are implemented. Are you, you seeing that that is happening in the workforce? Well, it is. And it's exciting that AASHTO, in their most recent update of their strategic plan, and, and the AASHTO membership are the CEOs of the state DOTs, they intentionally put diversity and inclusion into the strategic plan as an important focus for the organization. And that's reflective of what the state DOT leaders around the country are doing now. Many of them have had great success, but what we're seeing is when it's the leadership of the agency, the CEO and their top lieutenants have an expectation and hold, clearly state the vision and the goals, hold their employees accountable for what that expectation is, and then provide the resources to support equitable professional development. Think about the networks and support community like WTS membership 
for their women employees, having family-friendly work environments that both young men and women parents really desire these days. It's, it's a generational thing and an expectation. And then, as I said, really providing a, a level playing field on interview panels and having the right mix of folks in the room to champion the development and promotion of women in the industry. We mentioned that you had 34 years at WashDOT. You've had, uh, what, I guess about seven years now in the private sector. Do you see that there are differences or is it those kinds of things happening both in the public sector and in the private sector as far as transportation is concerned? I think there are differences, certainly. Private industry has the ability perhaps to move faster with resources on an initiative like diversifying and promoting women. I don't know that they're ahead. I don't, we in the private industry now are ahead. I still sometimes say we as the state DOT, I can't get that part out of my head. But I also have been really impressed, even through my career, where we didn't have a lot of women coming into WashDOT back in 1979. But those of us who did had very strong support mentors and champions who helped us excel. I mean, there's many women in the DOT where I worked who have done well. And I think that that's where the state DOTs are really, they have had an effective pipeline where those women they do have, um, I think they've done very well to get them into leadership positions once they've gained that experience. But I don't know that we all find women and diverse candidates coming into traditional transportation fields at the level that we want or that we need. So we have to think more back on the recruitment edge of how to get middle schoolers and high schools interested in transportation as a topic. And I do think it's an exciting time. So I'm hoping that we can really work to bring people into our industry to get that diversity that we want. What are some of the things you think can be done to get those young students who haven't made career choices yet interested in the field? Well, both AASHTO and uh, WTS have distinct school outreach type programs. The problem is you can only go so far. But in WTS, for example, we have over 65 local chapters. So we have a Seattle, Puget Sound chapter. We have a Portland chapter. You know, all over the country, we have chapters where women in the industry and men are working to support women. And a lot of those chapters have programs where they go to the local schools and bring underserved individuals, community members, as well as young women into the offices, bring them onto a project, showing them some of the exciting opportunities. Unfortunately, with the state of transportation, revenue, funding, et cetera, State DOTs can only do so much of these kinds of things. They don't have the resources to identify folks to spend agency state revenue on that kind of development. But partnerships with some of the STEM schools that are developing, partnerships with the state superintendent of public instructions and other opportunities to find materials that can start making students aware of our industry and transportation and such a positive impact you can have on a community when you work in this field and how gratifying that is. I mean, to me, that's exciting. I don't know why my three kids didn't decide to go into transportation, (laughs) but there you go. (laughs) 
we've been talking obviously up to this point about getting women involved in the transportation workforce, recruiting and promotion, et cetera, uh, mentoring, things of that nature. But women are, of course, also users of the transportation system. Mm -hmm. And one of the barriers that they may face are risks to their personal safety when they're using public transit. How does that factor into WTS's work? Well, it's, it's a big deal, you know, and so I, I'm glad that we're finally starting. We as an industry are recognizing that all travelers are not the same. TRB, one of the associations that we have an alliance with at WTS, has a Women's Issues and Transportation Committee. And one of the things that that group is focusing on is recognizing the barriers and challenges that women have that perhaps planners and project development folks around the country have not really recognized that difference in the past and those concerns. What we know is that women are different kinds of travelers than men. Women are much more in the productive and reproductive and community roles within their family and within their communities. They're the planners of how we're going to get from here to there. They organize the family and the children, and they do a lot of coordination, and that's been a female role. So the kinds of trips they take are different, highly linked with trying to get the children to where they need to be, to get the shopping done, and then to get to work and back again, and perhaps on several different modes. Safety is a huge issue, and that's something you mentioned. Harassment and violence in public transportation, the concern for the ride-hailing or mobility-on-demand type environments where women may or may not feel safe, and just daily travel with children, which is different than getting yourself from here to there, but having two or three little ones behind you as you're navigating a public space. All of those things now are being considered and researched as ways for transportation decision makers to think about how people walk, perhaps ride bikes, uh, much more community-based and community-friendly, and the need to think about how that fulfills the opportunity for people to use active transportation to get from here to there, but also what differences should DOTs, I'm thinking about states right now, what decisions should be made differently when we recognize these different travelers and different needs? And the awareness is the place to start. So I think there's a lot of good work going on, and I think it's a high need. Think about human trafficking as a good example, as a women's issue particularly and what the DOT's roles might be in helping combat human trafficking, just the awareness and the observation and all of the crews that we have out on the roads, having them get engaged in that game is really a a big change and an opportunity, uh, I think, to help right some wrongs that are going on. Tying the two things that we've been talking about together, both women in the workforce, in the transportation industry, and women as users of the transportation systems, How do you think that having more women, particularly in leadership roles in the transportation field, would affect women as transportation users? Well, I think there's nothing better that creates a better informed decision than people who can relate to the populations they're serving. Not only do those communities respond better to a state agency when they see people that look like them, 
So we're trying to get people to come out to a an open house or some kind of a feedback session. And when they see a traditionally a DOT that's all white and oftentimes mostly male, the trust isn't necessarily developed. So having people that the communities can relate to just from a visual standpoint is huge. Secondly, having women and diverse candidates inside of an agency where decisions are made and at all levels where decisions are being made, I think brings a better product. It gives you more opportunity for different kinds of opinions that are thrown on the table as potential solutions. They have empathy for the community that they represent or perhaps that they're a part of. And I think that it just builds to greater outcomes. This podcast has focused on issues like sustainability and resilience, an important issue that's been receiving a lot more focus in the past few months of the past year, particularly since uh, we've been into COVID, has been workforce resilience. The transportation industry has an aging workforce that's beginning to retire in large numbers without enough younger workers to fill those positions that are being vacated. How can we develop better talent pipelines and attract young professionals? We talked about the real young kids, those who are in elementary school and middle school, but as they get a bit older, high school and college level, how do we attract some of those folks? You know, I think that, again, we're back to marketing transportation to these folks. I've been involved with the University of Washington's programs in engineering and transportation area. And I've been amazed at the number of new careers that have developed or even graduate type programs that can shape differently how transportation is in the United States. So for example, I mentioned data science, data management. We all have so much data and the DOTs are great at collecting it. How do you interpret it? How do you integrate it? How do you use it to its most optimum advantage to make good decisions and demonstrate performance? All of those things are so critical. There's user experience kinds of degrees now where, boy, wouldn't it be nice if we knew how to relate to people better, to understand what their transportation needs and concerns are. When I get excited about the opportunities that are here now for careers in transportation, it isn't engineering anymore, necessarily. Engineering is critical, but there's so many other opportunities. We need to learn how to sell that to young people and then let them know that if they come into a DOT or a private sector consulting firm, that they're going to be treated fairly, equitably, have great opportunities. So many of the younger generation that is coming into the workforce and is in the workforce, they want more decision-making power. They want empowerment. They want to know that they're personally making a difference. And I have to say, I think that's changed from when I came into a DOT very militaristic type agency that did what you were told and you you would find out when you needed to know something. So I think it's just a shift in how we value our employees and the opportunities we present them with and the teamwork that DOT teams, you know, the work that they do is so much more diverse and broad that I think it's exciting. We just need to market it better. We need to sell it better. And one of the things, you know, you talk about, it's not just engineering, although obviously that's a critical component, but for someone who maybe doesn't have a particular technical bent, there are opportunities to work in transportation that use some other skills that may not necessarily involve STEM, for example. Absolutely. You know, I mentioned communication. 
I've looked back on some of the guidance that was given. I'm a kind of a communication junkie, but the guidance that we used to get from federal highways and how the DOTs did communication is us coming to you. This is back in the 80s, 70s, 80s. Us come to you and we'll tell you what we're going to do. And we want you to you know, understand that. Well, now we're out listening and we're out earlier. Tell us what your problems are. Tell us what your needs are. We need good communicators who know how to do that. And we need to be able to sell our projects better, use communication to build our credibility. There's so many opportunities in order to run and manage and deliver good transportation services and projects that, you know, the world is our oyster when it comes to careers. And I think we need to market that better. Going back to your time at Washington State DOT, and in particular, your time as secretary, which I believe was between 2007 and 2013, a big focus during that time was alternative modes, alternative fuels, energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. As you look back, which strategies did you find most effective for implementing successful environmental policies? In Washington State, I will admit we are very fortunate to have a strong environmental ethic within our state and our leadership, our legislators, et cetera. It's an expectation because we have such wonderful natural resources that we'd love to preserve them and maybe fix some of the ills that we've created over time in our early days in transportation. But our early DOT leaders at WashDOT had the foresight to create an over 200 mile HOV system, for example, in Puget Sound, our most congested part of our state system. And that HOV system has become a carpool, you know, the carpool lanes were critical for us as our populations grew. And we're trying to figure out how to manage the traffic, keep freight moving and help people get to work. We also had a commute trip reduction law that was created that really enabled us to build the nation's largest vanpool system. It, within Washington state, which really helped utilize the HOV system, but gave people the consideration of alternative ways to get to work. Our transit is strong. We have regional transit up in Puget Sound. But we started within the DOT looking and trying to find where we could change the influence of emissions and carbon and how we could most efficiently operate that transportation system to its peak efficiency and effectively. So in other words, we had ferries, the nation's largest ferry system, that huge emissions, when you think about the diesel emissions of a ferry system. And we started while I was there working on biofuels that has now grown to hybrid electric, diesel electric concepts for ferries. So it's a big initiative in Washington state, even today, to try and figure out how to reduce those emissions. We partnered with our regulatory agencies early on on some of our major projects. We hear about environmental streamlining a lot now at the national level, but we partnered early on to bring in those regulatory agencies, state and federal, as we developed projects to help us shape and make good decisions about environmentally friendly, minimize harm types of decisions and it really did help us, helped us deliver projects more rapidly, but also got the kind of buy-in we needed at that time. 
the whole issue of climate change, the impacts on the transportation system or, or the, the contributions of the transportation system on climate change was one initiative that I, I'm really proud of at WashDOT where we decided to create a sustainability strategy for the 21st century. I mean, it, for us, it was like, okay, we, can, we can't keep widening our freeways. That's just not gonna work and it's not environmentally sustainable. So one of the things that we did was work hard on a strategy for how we would approach our freeway system. And that was to integrate the transportation system better with transit. Let's use that real estate and those lanes that we have to their optimum use. It's not just for single occupant vehicles. Our HOV system really helped us enable a travel choice in a reliable way. And so continuing to work on demand management, optimizing the relationships with the local agencies that are the transit providers and using good transportation operations techniques to keep traffic flowing. The same kind of sustainability things that are being worked on still today across the country, but it's the direction that as we see cars get cleaner, we still have to figure out how we're gonna manage the kind of traffic we have and that's within the transportation agency's hands. And the more they can use transportation system operations to help achieve that kind of goal, the better. So I think, again, exciting times. And we did a lot back in the day that I was there. And I continue to be amazed at the improvements and the opportunities that DOTs are working on today. Going back again to a, another previous role that you had was uh, with AASHTO's Technical Assistance Program, the steering committee for AASHTO's Technical Assistance Program, and that focused on resilient and sustainable transportation systems, or RISTs. Now, as I understand it, that program helps state DOTs understand the potential effects of climate change and the range of mitigation and adaptation strategies that are available to state DOTs. Tell us, if you would, about your leadership of RISTs and the importance during your tenure at WashDOT. Well, that was an interesting time. Back in the day, what we found when this committee, it was a steering committee to start with, it was created because us transportation agencies that were AASHTO members realized there was a large conversation going on around climate change, emitters, and transportation being, in many cases, 50 to 60% of the producers of emissions, you know, carbon emitters. And all of a sudden, we realized environmental groups and other regulatory agencies were talking about how to reduce transportation emissions without us being at the table. And there were reports being written and, and decisions or at least strategies being put forward that didn't include our input. And so the AASHTO leadership said, we've got to get ourselves educated. We need to understand the issues. And if we aren't invited to the lunch, then we're going to be on the menu. And so we decided to make sure we had a voice. And that was when this committee was created. And it was partly to educate ourselves. It was partly to develop and understand best practices of what some states were doing to contribute to the conversation of climate change and emission reduction. And it has really grown into this community. And I'm so glad to see it being sustained. It's the opportunity for the scientists within the agencies and the engineers who are making program and project decisions to really work together to put forth best practices and strategies that 
people who aren't inside the transportation tent couldn't really fully understand. And so it was great to see that transportation really is now contributing to the conversation. And there's much to do, we know that, but working with the industry who's building the cars and the agencies who are helping figure out how to use the transportation system, where the trucking industry is going in clean fuels and clean energy. It's really a partnership that has to be sustained And I learned a lot by chairing that committee that I then was able to use back in Washington state, but it really just elevated so much of our awareness that we had a role there. And even in my own state, we had a department of ecology state agency that thought it was their job to figure this out. And we had to force our way into the conversation and it was, hello, (laughs) do you know what we do? So, I mean, it's something that you have to be persistent, you have to be aware, and you have to educate yourself so that you can have an intelligent conversation and an important contribution. So all good things are happening, and it's a great committee. The ETAP is a great program because it keeps the state DOTs connected and sharing their best practices, which is essential. We talked near the top of the podcast about some of the exciting things that are going on at WTS International. For those listeners who would like to learn more, perhaps get involved, tell us a bit about how they would do that and if there are any things that are coming up in the uh, not-too-distant future that they might get involved with. Well, there's always something going on at WTS. (laughs) And as I mentioned, we have an international set of programs and leadership training opportunities exclusively designed for women that we offer every year. We have an annual conference at WTS this year. It's going to be held virtually in May. And at our local chapters, we have that ability to -to face-to-face once COVID is over, network, uh, although a lot of Zoom programs are going on. So it's great. Those communities that have been created inside local chapters enable folks to get some leadership experience. You want to be on the board. You want to learn how to run a committee. You may not be getting that at work. You can join WTS and you have opportunities to develop your leadership skills in real time in helping the chapter operate well. So I would say join WTS. That's the first most important thing. And we at the international level are working with the state DOT leaders and with other associations to try and make it easier and a better opportunity to marry the kinds of programs and services we're providing so that we're available to more people. So I would say, check us out, get on our website, and um, you can find out some things that are happening in your local area. We've been talking on this month's episode of the Ashto ETAP podcast with Paula Hammond, former Secretary of Washington State DOT, currently the National Transportation Market Leader for WSP USA, as well as the board chair for WTS International. Paula, thanks so much for taking the time out to chat with us today. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.